So uh, today we're going to continue along the line of, uh, well, I wanted to pick up something that I mentioned last week. We were looking at, we were looking last week at where Paul got converted on the Damascus road, the road to Damascus, and uh, he asked the question, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And what a powerful statement that is. What a powerful question that is, because the Lord wasn't who he was expecting. The Lord turned out to be merciful where he was in an angry pursuit and he found himself on God's wrong side. And when Jesus stopped him on that road and didn't strike him down as God's enemy, he said, who are you, Lord? I, this isn't what I was expecting. And that's an instructive question for us because often we might be expecting the Lord to be one way and we have to continually be saying, who are you, Lord? Because uh, we can easily get into this sense that maybe God is really upset with me or God is really striking me down with something right now. And you have to say, who are you, Lord? That's not what God does in the new covenant. He struck Jesus at the cross so that we wouldn't have to be struck down. And we have to say, who are you? Lord, the Lord is for us and not against us. And uh, sometimes life knocks you down. We talked about the light knocking Paul down to the ground last week, right? and how light can knock sin out of your life. Light can knock anger, depression, fear out of your life. But sometimes life knocks us down, right? And then we have to ask the question once again, who are you, Lord? That is the correct question. Who are you, Lord? But what happens when life knocks you down? What is the question that naturally pops up? It's usually not, who are you, Lord? It's, where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Why did this? Why, Lord? Why did this happen? We start asking these questions when life hits us and we're reeling. And those are the wrong questions. The correct question is, who are you, Lord? Uh, we tend to ask, where are you, Lord? Because we've been conditioned sometimes by traditional teaching that says the Lord leaves you for a season. I remember there was a book out called Deserted by God. And we get this idea that God sometimes comes and goes. And where are you today, Lord? I felt you yesterday, but I don't feel your presence today. Where are you? God has not left. And that's what we have to remind ourselves. We say, who are you, Lord? The Lord is Jesus. And he said, I am with you even to the end of the age. So the Lord is always with us. And today we're looking at uh, the passage in Hebrews. If you can turn to Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, it says, The Lord never leaves us nor forsakes us. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So there it is. You have this question. Where are you, Lord? Well, he's right here. Who are you, Lord? The answer is Jesus. Or the answer is, in your situation, the Lord is my helper. Can you boldly say the Lord is my helper? We're not saying help is on the way. We're saying help is here right now. Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So even though you may not sense his presence, you may not understand what's going on in your trial, 
Uh, you may not know why something happened. We have a lot of questions all the time. But one thing we can stand on is the sure word of God, the sure presence of Jesus, that he's always with us, even to the end of the age. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's good news. So how do you access this help? Because oftentimes it doesn't seem like he's with us, and we're going to talk about that. But another line is in Joshua 1 through uh, verse 1, 9. In Joshua, the Lord told Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with you wheresoever you go. So this is another example of He's always with us, but why would the Lord say be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. He says that because you're going to go into situations that can make you afraid. You're going into situations that can tempt you to be weak and to be fearful. The Lord wouldn't have to say be strong and courageous if everything was just going to work out perfectly in every place we go. In fact, there's going to be battles and there's going to be reasons to tremble. And there often are. That's why he says, make sure that you are strong and courageous. Be not dismayed. I don't have to be dismayed knowing that he's with me. But the temptation may be there. And it often is. And what happens is we give up. We we start to say uh, that... There are reasons we can't expect the Lord to help us because nobody's ever been through what I'm going through, right? In fact, that's one of the things. If you're going to access the Lord's help, if we can push through the feelings and the sense that he's not there and we can access the Lord is my helper and he's with me, he never leaves me nor forsakes me, then we have to get over some things that are very common in our, in our thinking, and as I began to state, one of the first things is, is that he's not through with you. He's, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, man, I know people suffer and have a hard time, but nobody's ever gone through what I'm going through. Anybody ever feel that way? <laughs> Nobody understands me. I, you know, this is, in fact, this is an exception. I know God can help others, and he used to help me in the past, but I haven't received help in a while and you get this feeling like he's through with you. And, and we say, well, he never leaves you nor forsakes you. You say, well, I'm an exception, I guess. And, you know, we've all had these pity parties in our lives where we feel like I'm the exception. You know, God can't help me. He used to, and I'm glad for that. But, you know, this situation is just, it's putting the lights out in heaven. He can't handle this, right? Well, we don't say that, but that's what we're thinking when we say, I'm an exception, or nobody understands, or this is a more difficult situation than I think anybody's ever... You know, in fact, there's so many people who have been the exception. I think we could start a new church denomination. We could call it the Church of the Holy Exception. Want to join? We can be exceptional because we, uh, we've had... No, but actually Jesus is what makes us exceptional. We have an exceptional Savior, and he has exceptionally said... I will be with you in the exception. You know, everybody is an exception. Everybody has a unique problem. Everybody has felt at one time or another, I'm through. But we're not. We're still here. Amen? We're still here. And you can feel like I'm through, but it it feels like I'm going to be through forever. But it never ends up that way. Even in the darkest hour, it just the, the devil's scream into your ear, it's over. 
and you just say, nope, nope, you know, I've been through this before, I understand, and you know, this is what the Lord told Joshua, to be not dismayed, and I'm not going to be dismayed. You choose to say boldly, the Lord is my helper, and it's not help that's just coming someday. Psalm 46, 1 says he is a very present help, an ever-present help in times of trouble. So help is not on the way, help is present, according to Psalm 46, 1, a very present help. Well, where is it? I don't see it. What's happening here? Well, it's by faith you receive it, and it starts with faith. A lot of people wait until they sense it and they know it's happening, then they believe. But that's not really faith. That's just rejoicing in a good situation that's gotten better. It starts with faith where you say, I don't understand this. I don't know what's happening. It feels like God's through with me, but I'm saying no. I'm going to boldly say the Lord is my helper. And not only is it the help coming, he's a very present help in time of trouble. So do you need some help today? He's very present. He's not through with you. Um, And he's never through with us. There's two verses I'd like you to look at. Psalm 37, verse 18, where it says, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Your inheritance didn't just come when you first got saved, and then you were good for a couple weeks, and then you messed up and failed, and now your inheritance has flown away with your failure. No, your inheritance is forever. It doesn't go away. It's because of the purchase of Christ. And you say, well, that doesn't apply to me because the Lord knows I'm not very upright. If you know what I was thinking the other day or, or what, what I said or what I did, I'm not very upright, so I can't claim that my inheritance shall be forever. Well, you are living under the old covenant. Jesus came to give you a new covenant. And in the new covenant, Jesus has made you upright. You don't sense you're upright. You don't feel you're upright, but it's by faith. It's the gift of righteousness. You know, we talk about salvation by faith. And we're going to learn more about the other side of the coin. There's more than one side to the salvation coin. There is salvation, which gets you to heaven, forgiveness of sins, and and gets you a place in the kingdom of God. But the other side of it is righteousness. It is the righteousness that comes by faith. And that's going to be a note that I'm going to keep singing as long as I'm preaching because that's the note that really changes things in your life. When you understand that you're not righteousness because of your works, but because of the Lord Jesus dwelling inside you. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the gift of righteousness by faith. And when you can receive that as a gift, it doesn't matter what you did. Well, you know, it does matter. What you do has consequences. And what you do matters. But if your heart is in Christ, it's in Christ, everything is clean. Everything has been purchased by the blood. And you can claim that you are upright, even though you might feel differently. It's by faith that you claim it. You have to boldly say it, just like saying, The Lord is my helper when it seems like there's no help around. There's a boldness to faith that claims what Jesus has purchased for us and takes it and receives it as our own. So now, are you the righteous ones or are you just poor sinners saved by grace? I'm not saying you don't have sin in your life, but I'm saying there's a new nature, there's a new creation for those who have received Christ Jesus. And it's only for those who have received Christ Jesus. If you're listening to me right now and you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not following him, you're not upright. You can't claim that promise. 
But if he's everything to you, like we sang, Jesus Christ is all I have, and this is what drives you, and this is where your faith is, then it doesn't matter what you said or did yesterday or an hour ago or what's going to happen in the future. His blood covers and washes clean your sins. And that's the good news of the gospel. And you are seen and counted as the very righteousness of God because it's not your righteousness, it's the righteousness of Jesus. And God looked down upon his son and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And we're united to that son. He said to take my yoke. He's not taking our yoke, we're taking his yoke. And when we do that, we receive the same word from the Father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, my daughter in whom I'm well pleased, because it's not us, it's, it's Christ. Hallelujah. That is the great news of the gospel. And, you know, it took me a while to really get settled with that truth, and that's why I keep harping on it and I'll keep preaching it until we get settled on it, because none of us feels like it's, it's free. We all feel we have to earn favor with God. We have to earn and do better and do better before we can be blessed and receive the help in our inheritance. And I'm saying you can be blessed today, right now, just by faith, saying it's all Jesus, it's not me. And thank you, Lord. Isaiah 46.4 says, Even to your old age I am he, and even to gray hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. So you're never too young or too old to claim that the Lord is carrying you and he's going to carry you to the end. Anybody in here have gray hairs? Some of us do. Uh, but he's still got you. And you can still say he's carrying me. Underneath are the everlasting arms. So never say that you are an exception to, the, to all of this. Instead say, the Lord is my helper. Whatever you're in right now, he's ready to deliver you, to help you through. Another thing that gets in our way, and this might be a sacred cow to some, and, and uh, hopefully you'll allow me to come back next week after I tell you this, but a lot of people don't receive help because they just give in to this idea that the Lord is teaching me a lesson, that he gave me this sickness, he gave me this trial so that he could do something in my life. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the Lord can't work with trials. He does. But that's not what makes us better and holy. And that's not his per. He doesn't send the trials. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. It's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. So if something is stealing from you, killing you, destroying you, that's not a blessing from God. That's not a, a blessing in disguise. That is the enemy doing something, or it could be just your own foolish choices, or it could be the fact that we're in a broken world, or it could be a demonic thing that's attacking you. Whatever it is, it's not good. It's not where the life is. How do you get into life? How do you get the best out of a trial? It's not the trial that makes you better but you can get better in the trial if it drives you to the Word. It's the Word of God that makes you better. And we see that 2 Timothy... No, wait, I'm sorry. Is it 1 Timothy 3.16? No, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. Sorry, I was right the first time. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness 
that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What makes you complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work? It's the word of God, the God-breathed word. It's the word that changes us. It's the word that is the seed that produces fruit in our lives. And if it was suffering that produced fruit, then we'd have a lot more super saints in the church, right? Everybody's suffering, and a lot of people don't improve. It's not the suffering that improves you. So we can't go with, well, maybe God's trying to teach me something. Well, God's always trying to teach us something, and he's going to take advantage of your trial if you're in one. So, you know, and that's where help comes in too. But you don't linger in the trial and say, thank you for the trial. You don't continue and say, well, I'm just going to let God do what he wants to do and as long as he wants to do it, thinking that he's putting this burden on you. No, he's the deliverer. He's the deliverer. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his kingdom. Psalm 34.19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Oh, there it is again. But I'm not righteous. Wait a second. Are you in Christ? Then you can claim that because it's not your righteousness. It's the free gift of the gospel, his righteousness. And that means we can expect to come out of things. Well, what about Job? I'm just another Job. Anybody ever feel like Job? (laughs) Well, there's a couple things about Job. Let me say real quickly. There will never be another Job story. There doesn't have to be anyway. Because Job accomplished something. The Lord accomplished something through Job. And again, that was in the Old Covenant. And again, that wasn't the Lord doing that to Job. If you read the first couple of chapters, you see it was Satan that brought these trials to Job. Okay, so what about Job? You know, he ended up at the end praying for his friends. The Lord instructed Job to pray for your friends so they don't answer for their folly. And we can talk more about the book of Job at some point. But there was Job as an intercessor for his friends because of what he had suffered. And that's a type of Jesus. Jesus interceded for us. He suffered for us so that we wouldn't have to answer for our follies, our foolishness, our sins. He took those on the cross. Now, there are consequences, and we will reap consequences if we go out and do foolishly and sin. But the point is, is that Job was a special case and an old covenant case. People say, what about Job? And I like what another preacher said. What about Jesus? You know, don't look at Job, look at Jesus. And Jesus took our stripes and took our infirmities. He carried our, our, our griefs and sorrows. The Hebrew there, sicknesses and, and pains. He carried that stuff. So what about Jesus? Don't look at Job, you look at Jesus. And then let's say you are Job. Let's say if I'm wrong about all this and you finally conclude, well, I am a Job. I find it interesting that people who claim Job's plight never seem to claim Job's reward because in the end, Job was healed and Job was restored and received even more than he had before. The Lord proved to be Job's helper. So if you're sitting there thinking, I'm another Job and you're never expecting any help or deliverance, you're not in faith. Well, I'm just, I'm looking to him one day at a time. That is good. Look to Jesus one day. Sometimes you are in a spot and it has to be a one day at a time thing, but you can't live there. You'll be there in certain moments, in certain trials, but you're always expecting and saying, this is only for this season, but the Lord is going to deliver me. 
just like Paul said. He will deliver me from every evil work. That's his business. He is a redeemer, a deliverer. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And it's not abundant to be languishing, sick, and in pain all the time. Now, some people never get out of their sickness or pain, and it might not be their fault, and it might not be uh, any lack of faith, but I say if that's you, your faith can carry you through where he, you're expecting the help of the Lord, and he will put you through, and he will bring you out. You know, we quote 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 13. Do I have that? No, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We often quote it and say, God will not give you more, not allow you to have more than you can bear. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And we often say, well, he won't allow you to be tempted more than you can bear. Just hang on one day at a time. But why don't we ever focus on he will make the way of escape? The promise there is that he's not going to allow you to have more than you can bear, but he's going to make a way of escape. So if you're in the midst of something, you're suffering something, you'd be looking to him, the Lord is my helper, where is the escape? Well, I've been looking and I prayed and it hasn't come yet. I've, I've gone through all that. I believe this stuff and I'm still in my situation. Now what? Well, again, I mentioned Joshua 1.9. He said, be strong and courageous, neither be thou dismayed, because there are battles to be fought. And it, chances are you are in a battle, but you're not going to stay in a battle forever. It's by faith and patience that we inherit the promises. I believe that's Hebrews 6.12. So we have to sometimes have patience, and we have to recognize that there's a battle. Well, what do you do in the battle Here's what you do. Here's how you access help. First of all, you realize that you can overcome. There's a giant before you, but David killed a giant, right? Jesus killed a giant. He overcame the one who had the power of death, the devil, it says in Hebrews. Um, is there a giant before you in your life? Did you know... Who else killed a giant in the kids? Do you, who killed the giant in the Bible? Who killed the giant? You remember? David. David was the giant killer. <laughs> Do you adults remember? Does anybody remember that? Okay, good. Um, but did you know that there were other people that killed giants? In 2 Samuel chapter 21, there's a list of David's men who killed giants related to Goliath and some others. There were other giant killers under David. No one had dared, except for David, under Saul to kill a giant. No one, no one thought they could take him on. But when David went after that giant, what did he say? Oh man, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Oh God, please help me. No, he said, this one will fall just like the bear and the lion that I killed. He was speaking a bold, Lord is my helper kind of statement there. And he went and did it and later on, under him, those associated with the giant killer killed their own giants. No one did it under Saul. They were too terrified and afraid. But under David, they did. And we, under Christ, we are associated with the giant killer. Jesus killed the biggest giant. Our sins, the devil, the judgment, the, the wrath of God to come. 
and we're, we're united with him. We're united with him. So we can expect that kind of help from him. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. How do you access the help? First, you say the right question. Who are you, Lord? It's Jesus, the helper. And then you boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The book of Hebrews was written to encourage the Jewish Christians who were undergoing great persecutions. They're about ready to waver and fall back into their Judaism because their goods were getting ransacked. The author of Hebrews was put in chains. People were losing their livelihoods and cast out of the synagogue, things like that. It wasn't a pretty sight. It wasn't a happy day. And so instead of saying, why is this happening or where are you, Lord? The author said, they, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. It takes boldness to say that when your goods are being ransacked or when things don't appear to be working. It's not bold to say it if everything's going wonderfully and you're receiving help just like that and, oh, I'm just riding on the air, floating on the clouds, walking on the water. No, that's when you don't have to speak so boldly. You can speak thankfully and you can speak uh, matter-of-factly and all that. But... It takes boldness when things are shaking all around you and you still claim by faith, this is, this is okay, the Lord is helping me and he's got a, a way of escape for me. I will overcome. I want to close by looking at a couple examples of this and uh, actually from Psalm 118, verse 6, part of our Hebrews verse is taken from this. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, but then in verse 10 of that same psalm, it says, All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. So he's rehearsing the situation. He's not denying the facts that there are problems and all nations surrounded me. But he, he speaks a future in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. I will. I'm not going to be taken by these nations. I will destroy them. That is faith, the language of faith, speaking boldly. See, I'm not, I'm not asking you to say uh, a mantra or just recite something when you're in a fix. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. That's not going to get you anywhere. Just saying the right things doesn't get you anywhere. You have to become associated with that truth. You have to be convinced that that is the truth for you, that that is the word of God and that the word of God cannot fail he is faithful to perform his word and that you have faith and confidence in him. You say, well, how do I get there? Well, again, it's by obeying what you know. It's by spending time in prayer with him. It's by spending time in the word and speaking to yourselves. The, the scripture talks about speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You often speak to yourselves, woe is me and worry is me and all these things. And we, it's just the natural tendency. I've got to fight that in my life all the time. Now, the thoughts are coming, worst case scenarios. We've got to learn to think about what we're thinking about and change our self-talk and instead be speaking the truths that we want to come to faith in. The Lord is my helper. So that's how you build yourself up in the faith by being in obedience with God having the answer to the right question, who are you, Lord? And it's Jesus. It's only through Jesus that these promises are fulfilled. And then spending time and rehearsing them in your life until faith rises up inside and you are assured of the truth. And then when you're in a fix, 
you can boldly say it. Say, I know this is this way now, but I've gotten through things before, and this will be no different this time. Well, this is a challenge. This is a new one. This is a bigger giant, but no, no giant is too big for Jesus. Amen? One last look at a scripture here, because uh, in, in a lot of our cases, the circumstances look anything but hopeful. And in Psalm 3, the whole psalm we could read, but I just want to look at verses 1 and 2 and then the third verse. 1 and 2 says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there are which say of me, there is no help for him in God. This is what it looks like. The devil mocks us and says there's no help for you in God. Your family or your friends or others might say, oh, you're just a fanatic. You're trusting in the Lord. There's no help for you. There's no way out of this situation. You can't expect anything good to come out of this or anything ever. That's the way it was for the psalmist here. There's no help for him in God, but look how he answers in verse 3. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. He doesn't stay put with there is no help for him, but he goes on and makes the declaration you are the one, Lord, who's going to do You are the one who lifts my head. The rest, you can read the rest of Psalm 3 later. It's very encouraging. But that's a bold way of speaking. You are speaking in the face of contrary circumstances the truth of God. Not only the truth of God, but the goodness of God and the glory of God. God wants to be glorified in your life. This is how you can glorify Him when it doesn't seem like you're glorifying Him because you're speaking worshipful truth and faithful words to the Lord who is always faithful to us. And that's going to shame the devil. That's going to shame the enemies, the, the spirits and principalities and powers who are trying to bring you down. They think they've got you now. and They're going to say, what's he going to say now? He's going to curse God and die? No. He says, but you are the lifter of my head, Lord. And I'm going to boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And the afflictions, they'll keep coming. You'll get out of one and another will come. I hate to be that that prophetic but you know that's not really prophecy that's just life right life sometimes hits and hits in ways we don't like but as the trials never stop something else never stops and that's the faithfulness of God something else never stops that's the love of Jesus something else never stops and that's that he's with us my voice my voice may stop But his voice never stops. His word endures forever. Amen. So, does anybody need help today? Let's say together, the Lord is my helper. Everybody, the Lord is my helper. Don't just be a hoping and a praying, but go forth with hope and be a saying. In Jesus' name.